0: I don't know if you're a World Series fan, but if you are, you were treated these last weeks. It was it was unbelievable for for me. I loved watching the games, and and I you know I hate to say that, or I don't hate to say this. I, I kind of rooted as a Homer, as a Texas person. I, so I was rooting for the Astros, and so. Uh, my apologies to all, all the Dodger fans. Uh, apologies and condolences. I'm sorry, <laughs> so, You know, that's just how it goes sometimes. But, you know, in the World Series, great stories always come out of the World Series, I think. And, you know, particularly this this series had some really great stories. I, I don't know if you watched after the seventh game and, and the shortstop for the Houston Astros uh, Carlos Correa. You know, he goes up and he's one of the stars of the game and he's being interviewed by the sportscaster right after the game. And and so the sportscaster comes up and he says, well, hold on a second. He goes up in the stands, gets his girlfriend, brings her down, drops on one knee and proposes to her in front of God and everybody there on national TV. And I thought, man, what a great story that is. You know, a great story. And, and it was a great story for me that Houston won. I mean, after all that the city has been through and, you know, in terms of the hurricane and, and everything that's, you know, gone uh, along with that, you know, to be able to see them celebrate a victory, that, that just lifts your heart. Uh, and it's, for me, it was the same with the players from Puerto Rico. I mean, there was a number of the Houston Astros and probably a number of the Dodgers, too, that that uh, hail from Puerto Rico and so to be able to to see them play in the, in the series and to see them win a victory and I know that's a a victory felt by those uh, folks who are there's a lot of Puerto Rican pride that was on display uh, and that was a beautiful thing so there's a lot of good stories that came out of this series but one that I want to focus on this morning call our attention to is a little closer to home it's about the catcher of the Houston Astros and the catcher's name is Evan Gattis. Um, and Evan's actually a Dallas, Dallas guy. He's actually grew up in Forney, played ball in Dallas. Uh, and, uh, you know, even when he was in high school, he was a top pro prospect even in high school. And so, you know, you look and you see, man, this guy, he just has his way paved forward. But you, when you begin to look deeper into Evan's story, here's how it unfolds. When he was in high school, there was a, a trauma that happened in his family. And, and in that trauma, you know, he suffered. And he suffered to a point where he began to experience a lot of deep anxiety to the point of depression. And so as he kind of went into that deep and, and dark place within his own life, he began to self-medicate. And in self-medicating, he, he self-medicated with alcohol, he self-medicated with marijuana. And so he got to that spot where, when he graduated from high school, instead of going on to college, instead of going on to the pros, he went on to rehab. And so he spent a month in rehab, and then he spent four more months in a halfway house. And after he got out of rehab and after he got out of the halfway house, it wasn't like his life was back together. After that, what happened is he drifted for four years, and he held odd jobs, and he worked as a parking valet, he worked at JanPro and JanPro is right down here in in Tunnel and Abrams It's right down the street down here. You know, he worked as a janitor. And he drifted, you know, drifted up into Colorado and over in New Mexico and he was he was just floating around. He was having such a difficult time getting his life back together. When he finally decided to play ball again, he decided to play over at UT Permian Basin. And and I don't know much about the ball team at UT Permian Basin, but I can guarantee you it's not a platform for the pros. I don't know anything about it, but I can guarantee you playing for UT, that's not where you go to play baseball on a professional level. But he went out there. The Atlanta Braves took a chance on him in 2010. They drafted him. He played in the minor for three years. And the reason I share Evan's story with you is this that sometimes when you see people at the top of the game and you see them winning the world championship and you say, golly, their life must kind of always be lived at that pinnacle and then you begin to look down underneath it and what you begin to see is just a whole lot of struggle. When you look down underneath it, you begin to see that there was just a whole lot of struggle getting there that wasn't like the road was golden paved all the way there. And here is a guy who had a lot of wrestling in his life. And I share his story with you so that we can acknowledge together that struggle is part of life. You know, what I've found as a pastor and what you already know as a person, is what it means to be a human being is to struggle. You know, sometimes you look at people and you say, golly, they got it all together. They got no problems. They have no struggles. But I want to guarantee you, and you already know this, at one level, at the base level, we're all the same. At one level and the base level, we all have struggles. We all have fears. We all have anxieties. That's what it means to be a human being. You know, that's not a bad thing. That is a human thing. And so, you know, on one level, we we all share in that. We all are at that place together. And Evan's story reminds us of that. You know, for Evan, it was just probably a little bit more obvious. But, you know, for the rest of us, we kind of find ourselves at that place too. But also like Evan's story, our story kind of reflects as well is, is that our stories are not simply defined by our struggles. Evan's story was not simply defined by his struggle. Your and my story are not simply defined by our struggles. The Apostle Paul this morning, when we come to the text, he outlines this whole long list of struggles. And in verse 35, it goes like this. Hardship, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. You know, And you can rattle those things off, but you know, I want to invite you to think those are human experiences. I mean, a human being has gone through those things. He's not just kind of naming that off as a, as a rhetorical statement. He's naming that off as someone who has either experienced that himself or seen Christians in the early days who have gone through those experiences. And then he asked the question, what shall we say to all of this? And that's in verse 31. What shall we say to all of this? You look at all the struggles, what shall we say to all of this? You know, and one thing he could say, you could say, man... This is, this is not good. You know, you could say that the title of this story, and this is his title that he puts on it, that were lambs led to the slaughter. He said, we, like, we are like sheep being slaughtered all the day long. is just a quote from the scripture. He says, you know, you could look at all that, and you could say, hey, what this is about, what this story is, is that lambs led to the slaughter could be the title. But he says, that's no, not the title. It's not the title because our lives are more than struggle. In our lives, we are more than those who struggle. He says in our lives, here's the title, we are more than conquerors. That's the word that he uses. We are more than conquerors through the one who loves us. And we know, he says, that in that love that nothing can separate you or me from the love of God that is yours and mine in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's why we're more than conquerors, not because of anything that we do, not because that we don't have any problems, we don't have any issues, we don't have any struggles. We are more than conquerors because the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord embraces all of our lives. Always, And that's why he goes into that those three couple of questions in there, 34, 35, 36, he says, you know, if Christ is for us, who can be against us? You know, Christ is the one who seats for us, you know, who's to stand against us. You know, he goes through all of that because what he's saying is you can mount up all this evidence to the contrary, but you need to know, and I need to know, whatever you pile up there, it is not stronger, it is not greater than the love of Jesus Christ our Lord, and nothing can separate us from that love no struggle can. No problem can. No issue can. And so he begins to say, okay, you, as you look at life, then what you can do is we can begin to kind of reframe life and reformulate and kind of write a, a, kind of a different story. He says, and the story goes like this. He says in verse, it's in verse 29. He says, you know what, we're predestined. And what that means is that before you and I were formed in our mother's womb, before we were an idea in our, you know, parents' minds, before any of that God loved you and I before any of that. That God's love predates and goes back even before we were created. And then when we were created and God brought us into being, what that love continued to do is to follow us and to find us and to prompt us. He said, he uses the word call. That even when we were kind of going our own direction our own ways, it's always been kind of there tugging on us and saying, hey, you know, I'm over here. You know, pay attention over here. And it's kind of there kind of calling us wooing us and summoning us into that place where we'd be in relationship with God and Jesus Christ, where we'd accept, we'd begin to believe, we'd begin to trust. And that's a growing process. It's kind of, you know, a little bit by little bit by little bit, like any relationship that we share in. You kind of grow into it and you go with it, and that's called justification. That's the fancy theological name that he uses in the text this morning. We're justified. And then we're sanctified. What that means is that that life begins to shape, that love begins to shape our lives, and the way that we live and the way that we treat other people. You know, it begins. We are sanctified, and he says it's glorified, that that love begins to reach its goal, that love grows us to that place and takes us into that place where we find yet more and more and more the truth that the apostle said, that nothing, nothing that any of us have experienced can shake the love of god from your life and from my life and so what happens is in the midst of our struggles we find a love that sticks with us and that's what it means to be a saint is to believe that to be bold enough to believe that for yourself being a saint does not mean being perfect It does not mean, in my mind, I mean, it's great to be holy, you know. (laughs) It doesn't mean to be super spiritual. It doesn't mean to not have any hurts. It doesn't mean not to have any problems. It doesn't mean not to have any issues. It doesn't mean any of that. What it means is that you kind of take to heart. You grab hold of the fact that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. That's what defines a saint. That's what we hold on to. That's the name of the story. And then we live into that. We you know, find out what that means, and we live into that more and more for ourselves, and we begin to live into that more and more for other people, because here is the situation I find myself in, and maybe you do too, that so often I meet a person. When I meet a person, I, you know, it's, it's really easy, and if you're like me, you know, this is confessional time up here, it's really easy to see a person's issues. You meet a person. Well, they got this going on. They got this problem going on. This is going. You know, you, you kind of come along and you can you can see right off the bat. You know, you can see all the struggles they have. I mean, it's pretty. A lot of times, that's pretty clear in people's lives. And what happens when you can come along and you can begin to to, to name all of that when you meet a person? And you know what? What that means is that they're just like me and they're just like you. That's what that means. <laughs> What that means is that we all find ourselves in that same spot. But here's what saints do. They take it a step further. They say, great, we're all the same. Okay, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to believe for them that nothing can separate them from the love of God in Christ. Even when they don't believe it for themselves, I'm going to believe that for them. I'm going to think that about them. I'm going to speak with them in that way. That is how I'm going to behave toward them. Knowing that, you know, it's not going to dawn on them right off the bat, oh, this is where they're coming from, but this is where saints decide to come from. And I'll tell you what happens, friends, when you and I decide to come into relationships from that direction. It does begin to shape how people think of themselves. How the people in your family think of themselves, how your friends think of themselves, how your acquaintances, you know, how people you don't get along with. It begins because this is what you bring into it. And this is what I bring into it. This is what the saints bring into it. This great conviction. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. And in that love, we are stronger than our struggles. And in that love, we are more than conquerors. Bob Robertson, or oh, a number of you may have heard of Adam Hamilton. He's a guy that a number of people have watched in videos and read his books and stuff like that. But before Adam Hamilton, uh, there was a guy named Bob Robertson. Bob was Adam's mentor here in the North Texas uh, area. And uh, Adam was over in Garland, and Bob was the pastor over there in Garland. And I understand after first service that Bob and Carol are also members here at Spring Valley at one point in time. And so, you know, I, uh, as I speak of Bob Robertson, you may be familiar with Bob and Carol He was a pastor, as I said, and he was the head of um, communications here for the North Texas Conference. He was a a reporter in a way, kind of got the newspaper together and and made all that ministry happen. And I remember, um, you know, I was a colleague of Bob's, and and, um, toward the end of his ministry, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I remember being in a venue with him where he began to reflect on that and what that diagnosis meant in, in his life. And he reflected on a way that was very honest. He talked about sadness. He talked about struggles. You know, he just was pretty open. And that was a a blessing because it allowed us all to grieve together. But as he went on, he didn't stop with just the struggles. What he went on, he says, you know what? I'm a person of faith. Even before I was a preacher, I was a person of faith, you know. And as a person of faith, what I have proclaimed is the power of the resurrection. I have believed it and I have proclaimed it. And he said, you know what, now it's my time to live it. I've believed it, I've proclaimed it, and now it's my time to live it. And I, I just remember Bob sharing that with us and in his reporter way, you know, he said, you know what friends, he said, that's my story, that's my story, it's the story of the saints.'" And I'm sticking to it. That's my story. And I'm sticking to it. That we are more than conquerors through the one who loves us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord.